Welcome to this week's episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. On this episode, we're going to look into the globalization of anti-Semitism through the Globalize the Intifada movement. We will also look into the history of the Intifada and the current media blackout on anti-Semitism. Let's get started. During the first four years of the conflict, more than 3,600 Molotov cocktail attacks, 100 grenade attacks, and 600 assaults with guns or explosives were reported. Palestinians were stabbed, hacked with axes, shot, clubbed, burned with acid. The justification offered for these killings varied. These startling pictures were tragic events taking place within the Palestinian territories, and there's no excuse for this type of death and destruction and harm to the Palestinian people. Nobody can justify these actions taken against the Palestinian people. I'm sure we can all agree that we should be calling out the people who are responsible for these type of actions, the Palestinian Authority and Palestinian leaders who took these horrible actions against their own people. Sadly, this treatment of their own people doesn't just end with their own people. The Palestinian leadership turned their eye to harming Jewish people as well. This is just a little preview of what has been known as the Intifada. The first Intifada, or uprising, is recognized as beginning on December 6, 1987, when an Israeli was stabbed to death while shopping in the area of Gaza. One day later, four residents of the Jabalia refugee camp in Gaza were killed in a traffic accident. Rumors began to spread in the Palestinian communities that the four had actually been killed by Israelis as a deliberate act of revenge. Mass rioting broke out in the Jabalia camp, which led to a 17-year-old youth being killed by Israeli soldiers after throwing a Molotov cocktail at an army patrol. This soon sparked a wave of unrest and engulfed the West Bank, Gaza, and Jerusalem. Over the next week, Palestinian rock-throwing, blocked roads, and burning tires were reported throughout the territories. Rioters even threw gasoline bombs at the U.S. consulate in East Jerusalem. In Gaza, rumors circulated that the Palestinian youths that were wounded by Israeli soldiers were being taken to an army hospital near Tel Aviv and killed. Another rumor claimed that Israeli troops poisoned the water reservoirs in Kahan Yaounis. A UN official said that these stories were completely untrue. Only the most seriously injured Palestinians were taken out of Gaza for treatment. And in some cases, this probably saved their lives. The water was also tested by the UN and there was no contamination found. Palestinians were not simply targeting soldiers from Israel, but also looked to attack average Israeli citizens. During this period of the Intifada, 16 Israeli civilians and 11 soldiers were killed by Palestinians. More than 1,400 Israeli civilians and 1,700 Israeli soldiers were injured. Approximately 1,100 Palestinians were also killed in clashes between the Israeli troops and rioters. Jews, however, were not the only victims of the violence. A number of Arabs were killed for political and other reasons by Palestinian death squads in what amounted to what they call an intrafada. This number of deaths exceeded the number of killed in clashes between Palestinians and Israeli troops. The gruesome and disturbing scenes that I painted before were from this intrafada in Palestinian-on-Palestinian violence. PLO chairman at the time, Yasser Arafat, defended the killing of Arabs deemed to be collaborating with Israel. He delegated the authority to carry out these executions to the Intifada leadership. After the murders, the local PLO death squad sent their files to the PLO. Quote, we have studied the files of those who were executed and found that only two out of the 118 that were executed were innocent, Arafat said himself. The innocent victims were declared martyrs of the Palestinian revolution by the PLO. Eventually, the reign of terror became so serious within the Palestinian territories that some Palestinians expressed public concern about the disorder in the region. 
the PLO began to call for the end of the violence, but the murders by its own members and rivals continued. From 1989 to 1992, this intrafada claimed the lives of nearly 1,000 Palestinians. This was Palestinian-on-Palestinian violence. There was some relative calm between the Palestinians and the Israelis in the 90s due to the Oslo Accords in 1993. It wasn't until the 2000s that Second Intifada was called by Palestinian leadership. On September 28, 2000, Israeli politician and Likud leader Ariel Sharon went to visit the Temple Mount, Judaism's holiest site, which Muslims also call Haram al-Sharif and regarded as the third holiest site for Muslims. This incident was used by Palestinians as a reason to walk away from the Oslo Accords and have their pre-planned second intifada. It turns out that Israel's internal security minister permitted Sharon to visit the Temple Mount only after first calling the Palestinian security chief and receiving his assurance that if Sharon did not enter the mosque, no problems would arise. The need to protect Sharon arose when the Palestinian security chief later said that the Palestinian police would do nothing to prevent violence against him at the visit. This unofficially sanctioned any political violence by Palestinians against the Israeli leader. In addition, the official Palestinian Authority media advocated for violence by the Palestinians. The Voice of Palestine, the Palestinian Authority's official radio station, sent out calls, quote, to all Palestinians to come and defend Al-Aqsa Mosque. The PA closed its schools and bused Palestinian students to the Temple Mount to participate in the organized riots. Just prior to Rosh Hashanah, the Jewish New Year, when hundreds of Israelis were worshipping at the Western Wall, thousands of Arabs began throwing bricks and rocks at the Israeli police and Jewish worshippers below at the Temple Mount. Rioting then spread to towns and villages throughout Israel and the West Bank and Gaza Strip. On November 7, 2000, an investigation led by a former U.S. senator was established to determine the cause of the violence and make recommendations for calming the situation. What's known as the Mitchell Report was issued in April 2001, and it concluded that Ariel Sharon's visit to Al-Aqsa Mosque was not the cause of the Al-Aqsa Intifada. In 2017, a former Palestinian negotiator admitted that in 2000, Saudi King Abdullah, then Crown Prince, provided the Palestinians with half a billion dollars and collected another half a billion from the Arab League in order to keep the Intifada going. The Second Intifada did a great deal of damage in the peace process and for the Israeli-Palestinian relation. We saw a, quote, state-sanctioned violence by Palestinian leadership to harm Israeli citizens. However, often overlooked is the fact that many Palestinian and Arab people were also murdered by Palestinians during the Intifada. When we come back, we're going to see how the first and second Intifada and state-sanctioned violence against the Israelis has come into the 21st century. We'll be right back on the Jewish Diaspora Report. In a globalized and deeply connected world where mainstream media cannot continue to mask the interconnected and deep-rooted grievances of the subjugated and demeaned peoples, these citizen rebellions can pave the way for a, quote, global intifada. This is the words of Rami Kaudry, Director of Global Engagement at the American University of Beirut. In our last segment, we looked at the word intifada and what it means, literally and practically. The history shows that a call for an intifada is a call for violence and unrest in the street against civilians. I don't think that there are any questions as to what the term is calling for. 
This is why it is so frightening when, in 2020, the social media world began to see the phrase globalize the intifada pop up all over the internet. This idea was to bring back the first and second intifada, which saw the violence and death of Israeli and Arab citizens to a global scale. They called for the same type of attacks that were seen in the intifadas before, but now have it outside Israeli borders. After many years of Israeli defensive measures to protect Israelis from the harm of suicide bombings on buses and pizza shops, Palestinian terrorists within Gaza and the Palestinian territories have found a harder time attempting to harm Israelis. The idea of globalizing the Intifada was the next step to try and harm not only Israelis in the land of Israel, but now targeting all Jews all over the world. This, of course, ignores the reality that not all Jews of the diaspora even support or have any connection to the state of Israel. This is simply ignored. So why do all Jews around the world deserve to be attacked, accosted, or harmed in any way for the simple fact that they're Jewish? We saw this plan come into full effect in 2021 when a conflict was sparked between Hamas in Gaza and the Israeli government. This is the first time we saw the global intifada take hold in the United States. We saw a disgusting video from the streets of New York where a Jewish man wearing a kippah or religious head covering was being beaten, kicked, and sprayed with pepper spray on the streets of New York by people holding pro-Palestinian flags and signs simply for the fact that he was Jewish. In another example in Los Angeles around the same time, a witness told local television stations that members of a caravan of cars who had approached the L.A. restaurant began throwing bottles at diners on a patio using anti-Semitic slurs. Quote, it was a hate crime, the witness said. It was prepared and they came to fight with Jewish people. Another witness said that dozens of men ran out from the caravan towards the restaurant asking, quote, who is Jewish? A man identifying himself proudly as a Jew was assaulted and beaten by pro-Palestinian people for simply being Jewish. Obviously, we have to note here that the men were assaulted for being Jewish. No one asked if they were pro-Israel or Israeli or had any connection to the state of Israel whatsoever. They were simply being beaten as a Jewish person in the streets of the United States. We are seeing a rising anti-Semitism under the guise of being, quote, pro-Palestinian or, quote, anti-Israel. However, this is clearly nothing to do with the state of Israel. We have seen for years the attempt to suggest that being anti-Israel is not necessarily being anti-Semitic. In one of our earlier podcasts called Is Being Anti-Israel Anti-Semitic, I have suggested that this isn't always the case. However, in the case of globalizing the Intifada, we are seeing the real face of anti-Israel and their movement. People using the conflict in the Middle East as an excuse and justification for their anti-Semitic attacks against Jews all over the world. When we come back, we will look into the issue of why the media doesn't want to talk about the globalized Intifada movement or the anti-Semitic nature of the actions. When we come back after this break on the Jewish Diaspora Report. In our previous segment, we saw that the globalized Intifada movement has begun to show its call for violent attacks against Jews all over the world. But why haven't we heard about it more in the media? And why haven't social media companies taken this as seriously as it should be, as the call for violence against Jewish people around the world? The media has talked about these one-off attacks against Jews in the streets by pro-Palestinian protesters, but talks little about the growing calls by these groups for the larger plan to export their hate against Jews around the world. The globalized Intifada movement, like its predecessors, has become a form of sanctioned racism against Jewish people. Think about if we simply replace the word Jew in this situation with another group. 
Like imagine if we use Ukrainians calling for mass violent attacks against Russians around the world due to the current conflict in Eastern Europe. This would likely make front page news and probably be on every evening news report. For some reason, when the Palestinians and their supporters call for mass attacks or an intifada against Jews around the world, we hear complete silence from the media. Imagine for a second if the Jewish people around the world or the Israeli government went onto social media demanding that all Jews around the world take up arms against Palestinians and pro-Palestinian Arabs. You can bet that it would be on every 24-hour news station. The double standard is evident, but why is the Western media so afraid to call out the racism and hate? We saw them speak about the hate against the people of Asian heritage during the pandemic, but nothing for the Jews, which ironically was happening at the same time. In my personal opinion, the media likes to appear like they're not choosing a side on the Israel-Palestine conflict. For some reason, taking the side of the perceived underdog is a way to seem more unbiased. As an example, we can see any story about Hamas shooting rockets at civilians and the Israeli forces taking out the location where the rocket was fired from can be portrayed in two different ways, depending on the report. One report may say Israeli rockets destroy Palestinian homes, Another might say about the incident, Palestinian rockets hit Israeli school, and Israel responds. Each media source chooses how to represent that same story. Sadly, we too often see the anti-Israel version on most television and media sources. Many choose to take the side of the suggested, quote, victims of the conflict, which is always the Palestinians as the quote-unquote underdog. Of course, for the record, Palestinian people are 100% victims of this situation. Their own leadership shoots rockets into Israel and provokes a response where Palestinians are threatened to stay in their homes to be used as cannon fodder by their government, who stay safely far away from the whole conflict. These Palestinian people deserve much better. Since the media often paints the Palestinians as the victims in their reports, it sadly does not fit their narrative to speak about the pro-Palestinian movement calling for the harm and death of Jews around the world. It becomes a little difficult to justify the innocence and victimhood of the Palestinian people in this situation. Since the media are unable to be fair and impartial on some of these issues, they avoid speaking about the topic entirely. Even these biased media sources would have difficulties justifying a call to attack innocent civilians around the world just based on their religion. At least when these attacks are happening in the streets of Tel Aviv or Jerusalem, the media sources can spin things, somehow blaming the Israelis for the alleged poor treatment of Palestinians. But an attack on a Jewish man eating sushi in Los Angeles, it's a bit more difficult to spin that to suggest that this man deserves to be violently threatened. Many of these media sources would gladly call out the Israeli government for any and all actions that they see as negative, but rarely ever speak about issues caused by Palestinian leadership, including the harm to civilians. I assume that any mention of the Palestinian side's culpability in the calls for violence against innocent civilians would bring down the one-sided narrative that they have built over the last number of years. If people began to know the facts and issues caused by the Palestinians against Jews and their fellow Palestinians, the media narrative will begin to crumble and people may start to begin asking questions about what they've been told about this situation in the past. The media may begin to be called out for their bias in the past and have all their credibility ruined. I think they've gone in too deep on the idea that the Palestinians are perpetual victims and have done nothing wrong and will never do anything wrong. They can't turn back now. So they have to keep presenting this same idea, no matter what the circumstance. In the end, to attempt to use social media in the internet to call for a, quote, global intifada against all Jews around the world shows the real face of the pro-Palestinian movement, 
as for the most part an anti-Semitic movement. If this movement was really looking for peace, they would not be calling for violence. We also need to call out the media as a whole who should be ashamed of itself for supporting anti-Semitism by ignoring the call for violence against the world Jewish population. Globalizing the Intifada needs to be called out for globalizing anti-Semitism. This has been another episode of the Jewish Diaspora Report. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to check out our other episodes on your favorite podcast source. And don't forget to follow us on social media at jdr.podcast. We'll see you next time.